1: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.
2: Sunday Crunch Time. Bolton stole it away. Just inside the boundary line. Don't tell me he has kicked. (laughs) An unbelievable goal. Everything turning to gold. Tigers home tonight by 38 points
3: the richmond of old were back last night against an inaccurate dogs they were ferocious and the pressure was hot can damien hardwick's men maintained the rage and gained some momentum and what next for the dogs as last year's grand finalists slumped to one and three start for 2022 and what a win for west coast over the pies it certainly was a miracle at marvel stadium
2: chant for the swans and the siren all sounds The Swans
1: pull it out of the fire. They finish all over the top of North Melbourne with the last four goals. The Kangaroos restore some pride, but it'll be
4: hollow
2: as they head to the airport. Sydney by 11 points. Time's just about up. It's a Saturday stunner. There's life in the West Coast Eagles. Against all the odds, umpteen changes, COVID protocols, injuries, external pressure they've come to marvel stadium and they've knocked off collingwood by 13 points and one of the upsets of the year thus far
3: so a miracle at marvel stadium and the young swans sparking a comeback against a much improved north melbourne at the scg we will unpack all of this and more welcome to sunday crunch time Hello, everyone. It's great to have your company wherever you are listening today. We are live from Marvel Stadium as we count down to the clash between Essendon and the Adelaide Crows. Nat Edwards and Josh Jenkins with you this morning. Brett Phillips to join us a little bit later on in the show. And, JJ, welcome to you. It's been a very big weekend of not just footy but sport.
5: Indeed. Uh, Good morning, Nat. Good morning to our listeners. Yes, um... It's been huge. I spent the afternoon at the uh, at the Formula Ones yesterday. Ooh. I'm a big Formula One fan, and uh, not just since Drive to Survive, the Netflix Boy. documentary. I've been involved uh, <laughs> before. Mark Webber was in a Red Bull, but um, yeah, had a good day there yesterday. But caught up on some of the footy last night. Was on the uh, uh, interchange bench doing my little tiny little bit for the Cats, and saw a really good game of footy between the Cats and the Lions, and. One thing just dawned upon me, Nat. The Mm. defence, defensive football has taken over. We're yet to see 100 points this round. No one has scored 100. So we've had the Tigers get to 99 last night. And they were very, very good. Keen to talk about them shortly. But no one else has been able to get to 100 points. So let's hope someone can get to 100 because we like to see high scoring footy.
3: Yeah, we certainly do. Perhaps at the MCG later on today, Hawthorne playing that free-flowing footy ah. attack-based and maybe the Saints. Max King obviously has uh, been very, very good for St Kilda in uh, a quarter each in the last two weeks and kicked a couple of bags of goals. So maybe that game could be the one that gets us the ton this weekend.
5: Yes. Well, I know you would be hoping your Hawks can uh, can do the business, but there's a potential both of those teams could score 100. It, it could be a free-flowing game. We've seen the Saints; they can be, they can be exciting. And you spoke about Max King. Jack Higgins has been, um, been able to kick goals at different stages. They'll need to find more goals this afternoon. Um, not just rely upon King because it's a lot to ask. And we know I think Sam Frost will go his way this afternoon and make his life a little more difficult mm-hmm. because he's an equally, or not, he's, he's not the equal of Max King in terms of size and athleticism, but he's not far away. So, yes, let's hope there can be some uh, some more goals kicked this afternoon. I think the Blues might be able to kick 100 too. I'm pretty keen to talk about them because they've potentially got a bit of a trap game, a banana peel game, as you termed it. <laughs> but um, yep. I, I think they're the real deal. I think they'll go up north and handle the Suns.
3: Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. So plenty of footy action to come in round four. And, of course, we're going to unpack what's happened so far. The headline for me so far this weekend, though, JJ, was the AFLW Grand Final. That was yesterday at Adelaide Oval. I was lucky enough to be there to see just an absolutely dominant Crows side. Um, clinch their third flag. And can you believe it? Six seasons of AFLW and the Adelaide Crows have three premierships. It is a dynasty and it is quite incredible. And I don't know what's going to happen next season because with expansion coming in, four new clubs, it would appear that uh, a lot of the bands are breaking up, so to speak.
5: Indeed, yeah. So are we at that point yet? I think with the AFL men's season, We almost want the end of the season just to to come and go so we can start to talk about the player movement, the transactions. Are we already at that point with AFLW where there's more talk about who might be elsewhere, who might be uh, on the other side of town, so to speak, versus what we actually saw on the park? I mean, we need to spend the adequate amount of time, you know, appraising how great Adelaide have been and just got a return text as well. Just been, I've been doing Benny Lyon's job for him. Uh, <laughs> Adelaide's two-time premiership coach, Matt Clark, Doc Clark, a man I uh, know really well. He's uh, just agreed to come on. So he'll be on from, oh. I believe, about 12 p.m. or just after noon. So looking forward to having a chat to Doc Clark because he's one of the more entertaining and uh, and articulate men. In uh, in footy, so he's been uh, he's been he's been brilliant for. I actually threw his name up, not that I had a say that, but I actually threw his name up as a really good candidate for the job when Matthew Nix got the role. He's a very pragmatic operator, so it'll be good to uh, have a chat to him. Hopefully, he's got some uh, aspect or some part of a voice box left.
3: Yeah, you'd hope so. I reckon one person who doesn't have any voice left would be Ebony Marinoff, one of the Crow's star midfielders. She was. Uh, In fine form uh, when I left Adelaide Oval yesterday was Noffy. She is an absolute champion. But it was a a terrific game yesterday, really hotly contested. I know there weren't a whole lot of goals scored, but it was a thrilling contest. The D's really came back hard in that third quarter. They peppered and I think... um, you know a large portion of the crowd was obviously very Adelaide focused but there was a small Melbourne contingent and I think you know for fairy tales if this is Daisy Pierce's last season which we still don't know I think a lot of people wanted her to have that fairy tale and and be lifting that premiership cup up at the end of yesterday but it wasn't to be for Daisy and her D's they tried their guts out but Adelaide just a phenomenal side in season six and uh yeah just really incredible you just look at Aaron Phillips a three-time premiership player, Ann Hatchard, too, who won the best on ground yesterday. She has had such an incredible story. She was a junk food addict at the start of her career, was loving KFC, and um, she really turned around her, her career after that first couple of years, watched what she ate, became much more professional, and she has become one of the best midfielders in the competition. I mean, no doubt that Ebony Marinoff and Anne Hatchard are the two best mids. In the comp right now, so um, it was a fantastic game, and congratulations once again to the Adelaide Crows. And we look forward to talking to uh, Doc Clark later on in the show about how the celebrations went and who perhaps was best on ground there.
5: Well, I think I would say if I was a if I was a betting uh, person, Ebony Marinoff would be long, <laughs> long, long odds on because uh, I know Ebony, and uh, she's a. I mean, you could be you could be uh, mistaken for thinking she'd had a few drinks at the best of times, even when she's preparing for training, such as her level of energy and enthusiasm <laughs> for footy and everything that she does. So, hasn't she just turned herself into a into a phenomenal midfielder? She's become um, so so fit. Her endurance and her will and her will to be able to get from contest to contest is as good as there is in AFLW. So, um, yeah, she becomes a three-time premiership-winning midfielder and someone many new teams will be keen to get their hands on.
3: Oh, I'd say so. I think Port Adelaide would be looking at her very, very closely indeed. Still plenty to get through. We will deep dive into some of these games a little bit more, but we do have to talk about, I guess, the Eagles and and the Swans. Some great comebacks there, but especially the Eagles. That, That was a really spirited win here at Marvel Stadium yesterday, and and I guess for the the Pies, two weeks in a row that they've had a fade-out.
5: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not quite yet a, a trend. I think it's still, uh, to, to to use a Don Pike phrase, It's is it an event or is it a trend? I think it's still more of an event. It's okay. you know, It has happened two weeks in a row, but um, I think you'd probably need to see a, a trend of, of fade-outs before you got really worried about fitness or anything like that. I mean, certainly don't think... Um, there's an issue with Collingwood's fitness. All teams are rock hard fit. Um, it just was about West Coast um, good players standing up and impacting the game. You know, Kennedy played really well, showed that he's not, um, he's not done with yet. He hardly touched a ball. He only had five touches. But he's one of those forwards, like a Tom Lynch last night. We saw that at the MCG. They don't need to touch the ball 15 times. They only need five or six disposals, and they can kick their three or four goals. Kennedy stood up. Willie Rioli's been fantastic since returning from his suspension. So he kicks another three yesterday. He is getting more involved. I watched him play against the Kangas, and he was their best player. He's arguably the most impactful player on the ground against the Roos when they almost beat north in round two. So he had 13 disposals and kicked a few as well. Darling's just starting to build. He kicked a couple, got more involved. Liam Ryan was involved as well. So they had really good ins. We've seen how many players they'd lost across the first few weeks of the season, but they had really, really good ins. My query was just how fit and how ready they were, but the longer the game went, the better they became. And I think in the last quarter, in the last quarter, they kicked five goals straight and they kicked 14-3 for the game versus Collingwood's 10-14. So another game that was really um, severely impacted by inaccurate goal kicking.
3: Yeah, I think it was a real... And, and Adam Simpson spoke about it too after the game, just the spirit. So it's an intangible that you can't really measure. But the spirit of the group and... I mean, having 39 players play across the four rounds so far is just unheard of. There's only four West Coast players who have actually played all four games. Jeremy McGovern, one of those, and he was outstanding um, again yesterday. But when I looked at that, I was thinking, no Shuey, no Gaff, no Sheed, no Kelly. Where is this midfield? But it was the young kids that you don't really know all that much about that really stood up the Connor West, Xavier O'Neill, Luke Edwards I mean they're hardly household names but You know, getting games into these young kids and having that experience is only going to help West Coast one, two years down the track. Patrick Naish, of course, Mm. probably his best AFL showing, 23 touches, a goal, eight rebound, 50s, was, you know, after four years, I think it was, with, um, with Richmond, delisted, had an opportunity to train with, I think, St Kilda. Um, And then West Coast, like he thought his career was probably over. He went over to Adelaide to play in the Sandville and and now look at him at West Coast and and making an impact. It's a great story.
5: Well, he's basically, he's not far away from really fully establishing himself in that team because they've, you know, the Eagles have, you know, they've regained a lot of the talent that's been missing early in the season. There'll still be a little bit of a squeeze as, as we go and his performance will need to, continue to measure up but at the moment averaging 21 disposals 5 marks and as you said 5 rebound 50s per game, they're really good numbers and um, I noticed him against North, he went for a few kicks that probably weren't on but he's, that's him just getting more experience and more comfort with the level but he, he possesses burst and speed and run and he's willing to take the game on and, and those types of players are always valuable in, in teams that do like to play And West Coast certainly fit into this category. West Coast like to generally chip it around and just slowly kick their way through, play a methodical game style. But you need one or two guys like Patrick Nash who are willing to take the game on at different stages. So he's not far away from really cementing himself a spot in that West Coast side.
3: No, it's been brilliant and so good for West Coast to finally get their first win of the season. Adam Simpson, I don't know how he's been coaching, like how you coach and get a group to gel when there's so many changes from week to week. It's, it's been really, really tough on him and I think he's handled it pretty well given the circumstances.
5: Well, I think, they, I think they perhaps learned a lesson from the sins of the past, if you will, didn't they? When they went into the harbour, and they really yeah. handled it poorly they complained about a lot of things and they, you know, they, they were quite public with their complaints and, and set them off, you know, just set a really poor tone and poor mood and they played accordingly when they were in the harbour and they just couldn't regain that positivity. And I think they what they identified this year was, look, we could go and complain about this because we really are hard done by. I mean, my view was that, you know, that round two game against the Kangas should not have gone ahead. Yep. Um, And that might be four points that they might rue at the end of the year if they were full strength. I've got no doubt they win that game. That'll be something we'll look back on later in the season. But I think they understood, look, this could go for two or three or four weeks. If we complain about it and just throw these three or four games away, then we're done. Even when we get our good players back, we're too far behind the eight ball. So they've done a really good job of just stabilizing the group being really positive, having fun, and, and and trying to get the best out of a bad situation. And yesterday was just an unbelievable result.
3: Yeah, it certainly was. All right, you're listening to Crunch Time. Plenty more still to come after the break. We're going to break down the Richmond and Bulldogs game from last night, plus Daniel Gian, Syracuse, Essendon assistant coach, to join us after 11.30. You're listening to Crunch Time. Mm-hmm.
2: You're listening to Crunch Time, brought to you by the Isuzu D-Max. Born to live. Matt Edwards
3: and... Josh Jenkins with you. You're listening to Crunch Time for Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. Answer the camels call. Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops will be taking calls all weekend on the Kogan open line. Make the call. Switch to Kogan Mobile from $2.90 for 30 days with a big 20 gig of data. Well, last night, it was Richmond fifteen nine ninety nine defeating the Western Bulldogs 7 19 The Tigers victorious by 38 points and it was a big Week for the Tigers, because I reckon a lot of us in the media had completely written them off, which uh, you do at your own peril. They're now two and two, and they look like the tigers of old again, JJ.
5: Yes, when you say us, I hope you don't mean me, because I nope. was giving them a I was giving them a great <laughs> chance last night. I anytime they play in front of their faithful at the G, it's an intimidating experience for the opposition. They play the ground so well. And there's just an emergence, you know. They've, without Lambert, they haven't had Prestia. He was fantastic returning last night. Had 30 disposals. You know, Jacks missed a little bit of time. You know, we know Dustin Martin's not there. Grimes missed last night. It's 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 giving those who have played in some of the premierships. It's giving Liam Baker more responsibility. It's asking Daniel Rioli to go and play a different role, and he was really good off half-back last night. It's asking a few of those young players to say, yeah, you've you've played a part in our success, but now if we're to have further success, you have to be the drivers. You have to be the one driving it. Trent Cochin will take a back seat. Jack Revolt will do his thing here and there. But it's about those guys now stepping up and, and really driving whatever the next phase of Richmond's um, era looks like. So last night was really, really good signs. I think it was a bit of a perfect storm, that, because the, the dogs like to play that game style where they flick it around, they flick it around, hamble, handle, hamble. hamble. Yeah. That invites Richmond's pressure. That says, come at us. And we spoke to Camden McIntosh after the game, and he actually used some, some really interesting terms about their pressure. So he calls it the step-in method, where it's basically just stepping into the pressure, like, just step forward, come forward. But he, he said some things about forcing their opposition to see ghosts and to, to feel things that aren't real. Just, and that's that perceived pressure. That's them. Yeah. I think that's them when they're in that mode, that they, they're just absolutely feeding off that. It becomes a frenzy for them when they're able to swarm and, and just bring pressure and, and force the dogs to see ghosts. Now, the, the dogs got through the pressure a lot. But again, bad kicking for goal is bad football. We saw it across the course of the weekend. Collingwood could arguably say they lost a the game because of it. The Dogs almost definitely cost themselves from building a match-winning lead early in the game. Kick two goals, seven early in the match. end up with seven goals, 19. You just can't win games of footy if you're going to miss that many shots on goal. Um, and I had a stat given to me last night, which I don't know where I wrote it down. But since round two... Against the Blues, the third quarter of Round 2, the Dogs have kicked 17 goals, 41. You are not going to win many games doing that.
3: Yeah, so the last three weeks, the Dogs have kicked 28 goals, 48 behind. Luke Beveridge in the post-match press conference last night was lamenting that he said they've really got to go away this week and train it, but it's not necessarily... More is the answer. It's training it in different situations. Are the yips contagious? You know, if one person has them, it just kind of spreads and that negative thought kind of creeps into your mind when you're taking a shot?
5: Absolutely, yeah. No doubt about it. And it becomes really frustrating for the rest of the team. The the, the defenders who are working really hard to prevent goals up the other end. Bailey Dale, and he was kicking the ball as well as I've seen anyone kick a footy last night. You know, those guys were creating a lot of opportunities, but the dogs. And it was a it was a it was a group issue last night. It wasn't. You know, Aaron Norton kicked two goals, three, and he missed. The two he kicked were actually right foot snaps that you would think he, well, you would mm. excuse him for missing, but he missed three. Marcus Bontempelli and Pelly had three shots on goal really quickly in the third term, and he missed all three. And we know he's had his troubles, Bont, in front of goal. Yeah. Aaron Norton's got a he's got a hitch in his goal kicking action. It's not a fluent action, so I think okay. he's always he's always going to have some issues with his goal kicking um, because of that that action. It's just not fluent. But aside from that, it was basically. The rest of the team all kicking one behind each, or well, not the whole team, but Williams, Waitman, Wallace, Smith, Scott, Hunter—they all kicked zero goals, one. And then Trelaw and and Pally and um, English and Norton kicked kicked behinds as well. So it wasn't necessarily one or two guys' faults last night. It was a bit of a group, um, a group uh, pandemic. We shouldn't say pandemic, considering what we've we've uh, actually <laughs> physically lived but through. It, but it snowballed. It was an epidemic last night.
3: So, talk me through. I guess what what would you do during the week, and how do you? Because a lot of it is between the ears. How do you arrest that and, and stop stop it and, and execute in a situation where you know you've been missing?
5: It's a fine line because it's it's the it's the elephant in the room. But you just don't want to overemphasise it and just because you just invite more pressure. And you know, Luke Beveridge and his coaching stuff. I mean, Luke Beveridge won't, I don't think, have a lot to do with. Um, the mechanics of what goal-kicking looks like for the dogs between, between games. Um, you know, someone will be responsible for that. They'll probably have someone who's, um, yeah, I guess, an unofficial goal-kicking coach. Those, those are the types of roles, Nat, that have gone out of footy because of the soft cap. There's yeah. a, uh, I know at Geelong we don't have a, sp- a specific goal-kicking coach Um, at all and to be honest I couldn't tell you who our goal kicking coach is we're quite lucky that we've got Tom Hawkins and and Guy and Jezza and those guys are really accurate and and diligent workers but um, it's it's a delicate balance for the dogs because as I said you don't want to harp too much on it because each shot that their players get just becomes more and more pressure there's just more and more pressure on the next person who has to step up it's like Standing over a short putt at the Masters, and you know, the more and more pressure, and the more people saying well, you have to, you have to make this, you have to yeah. make this, you have to make this, the harder it becomes.
3: I think the other problem—it's not just the inaccuracy. When I was watching that game last night, is the dogs' key position stocks like where yep. where are they at? Because last night, no Keith, no Cordy, Tim O'Brien comes in to make his. Um, his dog's debut, uh, you know, against Carlton two weeks ago, it was Kurnow and Mackay kicking nine goals between them. Lynch and Rewalt then combined for six last night. And then you go down the other end and they're missing Josh Bruce and, and Norton, yep. as you said, 2-3. Eugle Hagen still learning. Where where are you seeing their – are they lacking that depth in the key position stocks?
5: Yeah, they, they really – they have real issues at both ends of the ground. Now, Alex Keith um, – Will 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 stabilise them down back, yeah. And I think they they've got no choice but to persist with O'Brien. He came in for one game. He he just didn't look comfortable um, in the new system last night. Lynch, you could you could sense that Lynch. I mean, Tom Lynch didn't touch the ball in the first quarter. But even so, you could just tell that he was pretty happy with the matchup against O'Brien. He was physically superior to O'Brien. He could he could um, he was going to get really good opportunities against him. So I think they have to persist with O'Brien, but Nat you know him well. He's more of an interceptor, a running, jumping type defender. He doesn't want to be engaged in those one on one contests. Not. And then at the other end of the ground, I mean Hugel Hagen didn't have any impact on the game at all last night, he only had five disposals and two marks, but You've just got to persist with him because they don't have a lot else. I mean, do they bring in another Ruckman and then English goes forward, but English is playing so well on the Ruck. They just don't have a lot of, of options. But it's Norton or Bust up front for the Dogs. And last night it was Bust. He, he, he had his moments but kicked in accurately and they had no other options. So they um, are going to have to get creative, the Dogs.
3: I mean, because Bontempele went into the ruck a few times, but do, do you like want him that. in there? No. I, I just don't think that works at all, does it?
5: No. I mean, he, he and Dunkley attended a couple of centre bounces as ruckmen. Now, smartly, um, they didn't contest the ruck. I mean, Toby Nankervis would be just saying, I, I want you to jump because I will, I, will, I will hurt you if you jump and I'll put you out of the game. So... You know, smartly, they didn't contest the ruck because, you know, Bonson and Dunkley, two really tough and brave and competitive players, I thought, oh, please don't jump up against Curvis and Noah Bolter here. And, but they just, they, just don't, they just don't have a second ruck option. I mean, O'Brien could do it, but it's really hard to manufacture it from down back. It's a lot easier yeah. to manufacture the second ruck from forward. Norton's big enough, but if they take Norton of the forward line, they've got literally no one to kick the ball to. So I mean, I'm not sure on Steph Martin's status and where he's at. I'm not sure. Jordan Sweet was a guy who showed a little bit, um, mm. particularly in the VFL, but even in a few AFL games. But he's more of a number one ruckman. They, they, I mean, oh, I think the answer is that how quick can Josh Bruce get himself a back to the to yeah. the onto the park and then b in really some missing. sort of. Oh, they miss him so much. They miss him so much. And that's why they they love him internally, probably more so than anyone outside the club understands because he plays such an important role.
3: Where do you see the dogs at? I mean, you know, one and three, last year's grand finals, it's not where we thought they would be. I mean, it's not where we thought Port Adelaide would be either at at zip and four. I mean, you can fall away really quick and and they have been hurt by personnel issues. But can you see them getting some momentum back and, and really you know, pushing back up to, to the level that we know that they can get to?
5: Um, I mean, we've, we've just spoken and we've just alluded to their personnel issues and they are real and they will continue, so they need to fix that up. But at one and three, it's not all doom and gloom because they've got North Melbourne next week. And North West. Friday footy. Yeah. Much improved yesterday, but you'd expect North, uh, the Dogs to handle North. Then they play the Crows. Then they play Essendon and then they play the Power. So that's a nice month. On paper, that's a nice yep. month. In terms of how they're actually going, they're themselves the dogs, none of those are a given. But in terms of what it looks like on paper, there's a good chance that they could go four and four, uh four and O, oh, and get themselves to five and three. Then all of a sudden they're back in the hunt, they might get a few bodies back. But um, it's uh, they'd certainly be concerned at uh, at the Western Oval.
3: Well, still plenty more to come on Sunday crunch time as we count down to the Essendon and Adelaide game at Marvel Stadium. As we go to the break, let's check in with Josh Jeans from Dabble to review how the team went yesterday. Josh, welcome to you. And for those who are new to Dabble, just tell us what's it all about?
4: Yeah, good Good to be back. Yeah, Dabble is a new betting experience for punters. So it's a social media combined with punting, so instead of following people on Instagram for their food or whatever you might want to do, you're following experts, tipsters and your mates and you get to uh, see what they're doing and a lot of people obviously loving it because we're celebrating the fact we hit 100,000 users this week, so people are loving it.
3: Oh, incredible. Now, there's a lot on the line <laughs> for the Sunday Crunch Time team today. The Saturday boys, yeah. I hear, they let us down very, very badly, so what do we have to do?
4: That's right. well, that's why you guys are the stars of the show, you know? Uh, Sunday Crunch Time stands <laughs> where it's at, Nat. And, that. and uh, you've gone for a nice, a pretty juicy multi, actually. Three legs. You've got the Bombers one to 39, which I like. Saints one to 39. And uh, absolutely giving the Suns no chance, the Blues by over 40. That one's going to pay 22.44. So a nice little multi there uh, to get involved with. Of course, you just have to download the app, follow the Crunch Time AFL and copy the bets. With one click, it's that easy, now. So go on, have a double, double socially and gamble responsibly.
3: Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Josh, enjoy the rest of your weekend.
4: Cheers, Nat. Cheers.
3: Sunday Crunch Time. We'll be back after this short break with Essendon Assistant Coach Daniel GN Syracuse. Stick with us here on Sunday Crunch Time.
2: A sports news update for Roll. Eat good with Roll. It's fast, fresh, Vietnamese. Star footballer
0: Daisy Pearce says she hasn't decided if she will play on after Melbourne lost yesterday's AFLW Grand Final to Adelaide. It wasn't like hinging on a result or anything like that. It's just time to let things settle and reassess and hear the final details of what next year looks like, all of that kind of thing. The Melbourne Boomers are WNBL champions after thrashing the Perth Lynx in Game 3 of the Grand Final Series last night. There was drama off the court, though, with the trophy going missing on its flight from Perth to Melbourne, but luckily for all, it turned up just in time. And a huge round from Aussie golfer Cam Smith at the Augusta Masters, charging into second overall at six under par. He's three strokes off American leader Scotty Scheffler going into the final day of play. Tiger Woods is well off the pace at plus seven, ending hopes for a sixth green jacket for the champion on his Augusta return. That's the latest in sport. I'm April Austin. Eat good with rolled. It's fast fresh Vietnamese.
2: Listening to Crunch Time brought to you by Isuzu. Go your own way with the three-liter Isuzu D-Max and extraordinary seven-seat MUX.
3: You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Josh Jenkins is here for Buy My Stock. Got excess stock? Visit buymystock.com.au. My name is Nat Edwards. We are counting down to the Essendon Adelaide Clash here at Marvel Stadium. It is the early game, 1-10. The Adelaide Crows were out there having a bit of a, a kick around and a walk around, and the Essendon boys are now... Out there, look, we've got Daniel G. and Syracuse to join us shortly, assistant coach from the Bombers. And obviously, JJ, they are they don't have a coach there this week with Ben Rutten out with the protocols. And uh, it's Blake Carousella who steps into the hot seat today.
5: A very experienced customer, uh, Blake Carousella has been the right hand man for, for many premierships or for a few premierships across his coaching career. He was a very smart player he played off and just bobbed up in the right place at the right time. But I think that you would be across this more so than I. Well, I hope you are. Um, the interim fill-in COVID coaches are unbeaten, are they not? I don't think we've had one suffer a loss.
3: Very much so at this point in time. And we've had a few. It, and it's a great opportunity, isn't it, for them at this point because – you know, they get that senior experience and someone like Blake Caracella is still looking for a senior coaching job so uh, it's, a, it's a good experience put yourself out there and, and have a go and it'll be interesting to see what uh, Ben Rutten I'm assuming he's got all the different feeds coming into his house today but we will find out um, very shortly with the first bounce over about 90 minutes away and Daniel G in Syracuse the assistant coach from the Bombers he looks after the back line at Essendon has been good enough to join us on Sunday crunch time. Daniel, welcome.
6: Thanks, Nat. Thanks, Josh.
3: Jake Stringer, I want to start with him because out with a hamstring injury, it's a big blow for your side. Can you just take us through, was it a training incident and how long you might think he's going to be on the sidelines for?
6: Yeah, just unfortunate. Pulled up a little bit sore after our training session. When was that? Friday. It's been a long week, to be honest, because we played Friday last week. Yeah. But, um, uh, it's on the minor ends. Uh, should be a couple of weeks and be back out there. So uh, unfortunate, but just gives someone else an opportunity, which is um, which is good and, and gives them a chance to put their best foot forward.
3: Well, how much does that then change how you structure up forward and, and who are you hoping will all step up and, and fill the void?
6: Oh, I think there's the younger guys have been really good. You know, I think Tex gets another opportunity. You guys haven't really seen the best of him yet. We've been excited. Uh, his training form, um, Archie Perkins, you know MacGwelfy, Peter Wright's in awesome form. We've gone with the two rucks the last two weeks, so that'll give them a chance to jump at the footy. And um, we think if we get the ball in there enough, we were really efficient last week against the best defence in the in the competition. We just got to get it in there a bit more and give them some uh, service.
5: Daniel, uh, Josh Jenkins here. Good luck this afternoon. Um, I know you Daniel, that's after very you. formal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is a very formal question, yes. Daniel. <laughs> um, you look after the uh, defence, but you must be, as a coaching group, a little concerned, ranked number 17 for clearances. Thus far, coming up against a group who aren't necessarily fleet of foot, but they are really good around the footy. We're talking about Matt Crouch, Ben Keys, Rory Sloan, Schoenberg. So it'll be really crucial for your boys to get in the fight and get involved and win some footy because, as you said, you were quite efficient going forward last week.
6: Yeah, they're, they're, we've talked about that during the week. That's a real strength of the Adelaide Footy Club something they really pride themselves on is that contested ball and uh, clearing stuff so we're going to be on our medal Um, we've got some different guys and personnel in there but uh, we've had a really good week on the track. We were really buoyed by the positivity, even though we're 0-3. Um, we've got to really tighten up our defence. It's been a been a part of our game that we're not happy with, even when, though we've played some really good sides. So uh, hopefully you'll see us getting on the front foot, both around the ball, but um, defending really hard. And as I said, getting that service into our forwards and giving them the best opportunity possible.
5: And speaking of defence, you'll be a little bit undersized, but I think you often are undersized and... Presume you do rely heavily on your system more so than you know individual matchups. But Taylor Walker comes back into the side. He was you know, in incredible form for a lot of last season. But you would have had a close look at young players in Elliot Himmelberg and, and Gallant, who kicked four each last week, and will provide some some uh, good matchups for your tall defenders, including the former Crow Jake Kelly. Yeah,
6: yeah, I think uh, Jake and Tex have talked this week um, and hopefully his fitness levels uh, really wane off as the game goes (laughs) on, Tex, but yeah, you said it, you're right, he was in career best form last year, Um, he's a threat for them, but you're right, we play a system not overly tall, and they are, but... We think that system will get it done. We want to be hard to play against and get some real drive out of our back end because we've got some threats on on the half-back line. Um, But we'll be making sure we go to work. They've got some really good footwork, those young guys. They're coming along nicely for the Crows. So we've got to be right on our game. But um, if we are, we think we can give some drive off that, that part of the ground.
3: You mentioned Peter Wright before. I'm really intrigued by him and and his development. Nine goals from three games so far um, this year. I think he's actually coming into round four. Has taken the most contested marks inside 50 um, in the league at at the moment. Just talk me through what you've seen, um, you know, over the preseason. And and do you feel like he's really growing in confidence?
6: Yeah, he is. He's you know, it's a credit to Pete. He just goes to work on his game. He works on his craft. Um, he's making our defenders better because they've got to got to play on him at training, um, but it's because he puts the hard work in. Doing a lot of stuff on his footwork, he and Dale Tapping are going to work on that, um, and it's great that he's getting the reward. Um, when we play the way we want to, and um, he's tested out some of the best backline players in the comp in Stephen May and then Brisbane the week before that. Um, so hopefully he puts his best foot forward. and. His leadership has been outstanding in what is a really inexperienced forward line. So um, he doesn't have to kick four goals every week. He's just got to provide a contest for us. Um, but he's a real threat that the opposition will have to worry about, and we want him to do that again today.
5: Be nice if he did kick four, though, am yeah, sure he wouldn't, he wouldn't be have, well, Maybe six would be the, nice too. Wouldn't be opposed <laughs> to that. How do you dis- uh, how do you deal with the distractions of you know the Ben Rutten situation? We've seen it you know, be handled quite well by other teams thus far, but it's, you know, it's unique to, to you guys. And also, how do you block out the, you know, the zero and three factor, you know, everyone's say, oh, you know, zero and three is really hard to come back from. How do you keep a young group really, you know, have their focus narrowed on, look, we are zero and three, but let's get to, let's focus on this week. Otherwise we might be zero and four.
6: Yeah, I think the the good thing about Truck is he's extremely measured and he has been since um, I've been at the footy club. Uh, There's not the real highs and lows and you don't get on the roller coaster with him. He um, really works on the process. We've taken the positives out of playing some quality teams in the first three rounds um, and we really emphasise that with our players, but he's also about growth and learning and that's all we've talked about and there'll be a constant throughout the whole year, even if we go on a run and win 10 games in a row. You know, he always talks about we won't be a finished product even when we win the thing. So um, that's how we deal with it with our players. Um, Just keep giving them experiences in real high-pressure games and, and using that to their advantage, and hopefully we do it for longer to get the victory against the Crows today.
3: Well, Blake Carousella obviously steps up into the hot seat today. How's he feeling? Is he a little bit nervous or just cool, calm and collected?
6: You wouldn't know with Carro. <laughs> he's pretty uh, low-key. Um, the way he goes about things just um, – so he hasn't seen too much change. Obviously, there's been a bit going on, and we've definitely been in more Zooms this week with truck and stuff like that. But, um, you know, we had we had Tom Cutler pull out with COVID, so that adds another element. But, yep. yeah, he's he's been very level, very calm. Um, and, you know, I don't think it'll be too much different. We'll get Chuck talking to us throughout the day in the box, and I heard you guys talking before. Great experience for Cara. He's an experienced guy and been around footy for a long time, and um, he'll keep us all level in the coach's box, and we'll do the same for him and um, make sure that the players feel like they're prepared and ready to go.
3: So how's it going to work? Is Ben just going to feed some things back or it, the decisions are, are made purely in the in the box? Like you guys are, are in control and he has a little bit of say. How's it sort of going to work?
6: Time will tell, but um, <laughs> hopefully it's going pretty smooth. Uh, but I think, yeah, Kara's in the chair and he'll make the decisions, but uh, Josh Marnie will have a feed with Chuck uh, the whole day and... He's got vision from uh, behind the goals and all that sort of stuff. So he'll be seeing things and and really, like he would do on, on Match day. If he was in this coach's box, helping us with decision-making. Again, to support the players, um, to give them the best opportunity to perform at their best.
3: How do you think track will go watching from home on the couch?
6: Oh, no, I wouldn't go great. and um, <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, he's handled it really well, to be honest. you know, He's been in constant contact with... The players all week, uh, with us all week. Um, I'm sure he can't wait to get back to the footy club, whenever that is, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, yeah, he's he's handled it really well and he'll be on the edge of your seat like we all will, I'm sure.
3: And before I let you go, any final or late changes today?
6: No, not at this stage, not that I've heard of. So, no, we're as as selected, so excited about the challenge ahead.
3: Gia, thanks so much for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time. Best of luck for the game ahead.
6: No worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
3: Daniel Jan, Syracuse, their Essendon assistant coach. What do you make of this game, JJ? Because it's an intriguing one. Adelaide Crows obviously are going to get so much from that win. Last week in the showdown, the confidence um, some younger kids stood up, and they'll take a lot from that. Essendon, obviously, been down on their luck. They've had a really, really tough draw, playing those top sides in the first three rounds. How do you sort of see this one playing out?
5: Well, I am. I'm worried the stringer, the stringer um, withdrawal or the injury to Stringer is is significant because in a game where. Adelaide regain their two most experienced players, but they're, you know, probably still their best midfielder in Rory Sloan and definitely their best and most experienced forward in Taylor Walker. You know, they get two of their best five players back and Essendon lose their one and only match winner, really. I mean Peter Wright's been incredibly good. It's been great watching him develop and play really good footy for Essendon this year. But Stringer's the one that at this game's, you know, seventy apiece. Late in the fourth, Stringer's the one who can make something happen. We've seen him do that for a long, long period of time. So to not have him is far from ideal for, for Essendon. That they haven't really lost to anyone that um, we would have thought. Oh, gee, that's a really bad loss. The round one loss was poor in yep. the in the fashion that they lost. But to lose to Geelong in round one, and Geelong have frank that form and have been really good. For most of the season. So to lose that game, you know, it was probably 50 50, 60 40 in favour of the Cats. Um, And they, you know, their other two losses haven't really been games that we thought they'd win. These are games that they must win. So they must get back to, they must win today, whatever it looks like. Now, we criticised Port for playing a defensive scheme on Thursday night. It really backfired. From an Essendon point of view, I think you sort of, you, you put the development and the long-term um, system and structure aside for a minute and you just do what you have to do to win this game. Just yep. get yourself the four points, whether it's 50 to 40, who cares? Just get yourself in the win column and then you can pick up your structure and all, you, all that you want to do long-term um, on Monday. They just have to win this game.
3: Yeah, grind it out, even if it's ugly, just get the four points, I think is really crucial for the Essendon Football Club. Just quickly, on the Adelaide Crows, Taylor Walker returns for his first game of the season, obviously banned for six matches in August last year following a racist comment about North Adelaide's uh, Robbie Young, which was overheard by an official at a Sample game. He's gone away. He's educated himself, done a lot of work um, off the field. Do you think the AFL community is ready to welcome him back? And will he get booed today here at Marvel Stadium?
5: Well, he most certainly won't get booed at Adelaide Oval, I don't think. But um, you are at Marvel Stadium and I I think, There'll be a, a scattering of boos. But, um, yeah, I mean, the booing is an interesting... I mean, Bailey Smith was getting booed last night. And I said, I think that's just 30,000 blokes who aren't as good at looking as Bailey Smith, all combining <laughs> because they're all the jealous moment. because they don't look as good as <laughs> Bailey Smith when he doesn't yep. have a shirt on. But um, So the booing is really... It's, a, it's, it's interesting. It's juvenile. It's, it's a bit contagious as well. You know, once a few start, a few more start. But, I mean, I think he might... I don't think it'll be significant. Um, I know Adelaide sort of had a bit of a misstep as a club this week with a tweet they put out which wasn't well received and I I think Matthew Nix did a really good job of of stepping on that and saying, look, it wasn't ideal. I sort of celebrating the fact that he was back. I think they probably should have just allowed him to sort of sneak in the in the back door and not make a lot of fanfare about it because it's not a long-term injury. It's not something to celebrate the reason. uh, It's good that he's back, but we shouldn't celebrate the fact that he is back because he shouldn't have been gone in the first place in terms of why he was gone, not the fact that he shouldn't have been gone. Um, So, yeah, I think he'll he'll, he'll slot in and he'll play a role and he'll be great in terms of his leadership. But he hasn't played AFL footy for a long time.
3: Well, and he hasn't so, played any practice games well, or right. anything because the AFL wouldn't let him. So, conditioning wise, I mean, he's been out for a long time. How do you think he's he's going to go? I mean, he could probably just stand there at full forward, yeah, to be yeah. honest, in the goal square.
5: Yeah, well, he could, and he probably will need to at different stages. And Himmelberg's played the whole season and looked good last week. Um, Galant looked good last week as well. Rochelle's looked really good. Oh, I really I love like Josh him, certainly. Certainly nailed that draft pick. Um, and I'm interested to see what this forward mix does today, because um, Riley Thilthorpe had a really good game in the SA NFL. We, you know, we cannot forget him. He has to come back into this team sooner rather than later, and he stood up yesterday, 19 disposals, 9 marks, and 3 goals too. So he's, he, he needs to be picked either this week or, or very soon. So um, it won't be Walker that makes way, it'll be one of the other two. So it would be interesting to see how this Adelaide forward line goes, and that's... Also Darcy Fogarty played S A N F L as well. So I guess all of a sudden Adelaide go from having no forwards who were playing well to four or five who were who were doing okay.
3: And, of course, Taylor Walker, we, we talked about you know, the season that he was having last year. I mean, he just looked rejuvenated and refreshed and he was playing some fantastic football and then obviously everything happened and, and he missed a lot of time. Is there a tipping point, though, with, with the Crows in terms of there's such a young list, you need to get development into these players? I don't know if it's going to work out for Darcy Fogarty from what we've seen so far. And we know that key position players can take a longer time to to come on but is there a point where having Taylor Walker in the team could potentially be hurting the development of the Riley Philthorpe as you as you talk about and Lockie Galland these times?
5: Yeah there's no doubt about it absolutely no doubt about it because Walker for as long as he plays will draw the ball he'll draw a lot of targets inside 50 he's a really um, big presence when he leads at the ball carrier having played with him for, for seven or eight years, I I thought there are a lot of times where I was the right option, but he uh, he would just draw the footy because he's a really big presence and he's uh, he's quite vocal and he uh, has great relationships with a lot of his teammates. So um, there's no doubt that he could he could eventually become I guess a detractor in terms of the development of Himmelberg and Thilthorpe and and Gallant and Rochelle, But for the moment, I think you know, he he. His form last year, he was the number one tall forward in the game for the first two or three months of the season. So if he can get somewhere close to that, and the Crows will be very hard to beat today.
3: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting clash here at Marvel Stadium. There's still plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Next up, we're going to speak to the two-time Premiership coach at the Adelaide Crows, Matt Clark. Of course, the Adelaide Crows victorious in the AFLW Grand Final yesterday. We'll unpack what happened at the SCG yesterday between Sydney, and North Melbourne. Plus preview this game as well. Brett Phillips is set to join us on the other side of midday. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Stay with us.
2: Welcome to Crunch Time, brought to you by Isuzu. Go your own way with the 3 litre Isuzu D-Max and extraordinary seven-seat MUX.
3: Everyone, hope you've been having a fantastic weekend. Round four AFL action continues today. We are at Marvel Stadium for Essendon and Adelaide. Hawthorne hosts St Kilda at the MCG, while the Blues look to go 4-0 and when they take on the Suns at Metricon Stadium later this afternoon. Josh Jenkins and I have already unpacked some of what has taken place across the weekend in the first hour of crunch time, but we're now lucky enough to be joined by Brett Phillips. Welcome to you.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm on. Here I am. He's oh, there Eddie's, you are. Uh, pressed the button. He's uh, got me on board. <laughs> nice to be under the roof. Uh, looking forward to this game this afternoon. There's a heap riding on it, clearly so for much. the Bombers. But I'm also intrigued from an Adelaide point of view because they're trying to rebuild, and sometimes you need a great away, stirring win just to be able to generate the belief that, yes, we're going in the right direction. They were taking a lot last week, so I'm really intrigued about... Uh, today's game but yesterday we're about to go inside the Adelaide Crows camp as far as the women are concerned this dynasty they've built so I really love that you know I call the inaugural season of AFLW and the the exhibition matches prior to that Mm. inaugural season I remember sitting here with A3 pieces of paper (laughs) now just trying to work out who the players were so the competition has emerged magnificently I nearly threw something through the TV watching North Melbourne and Sydney yesterday because my DNA is the underdog and I wanted the Kangaroos to have a stirring win on the road. And I know you and Josh have articulated what happened last night. I love what Richmond brought to the table last night. It was such a you know, differing game styles, that surge footy of Richmond, just the way they hunted the opposition. So we're intrigued to see what they've got left at Richmond after this glorious era of three premierships in four years. Have they got... Another run in them potentially.
3: Are they back? Well, I think they they thought that certainly before the season started, bringing in someone like a Robbie Tarrant. It suggests that they still thought that they potentially were in the window, but it's intrigued to see what plays out for Richmond in season 2022. And, of course, how the dogs go, obviously slumped to one and three. And we will now head to Adelaide to speak to a two-time premiership coach in Matt Clark, uh, Matt... Congratulations again on yesterday. It was an outstanding game of football. This is an outstanding team that you're lucky enough to coach. How are you feeling this morning?
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Nat. Yeah, obviously, I'm oh, very um, pleased and satisfied, as a, yeah, as, you, as you pointed out. It was a really good game, so to come away with a win was pretty um, pretty good.
3: Now, I have to ask you, because Josh Jenkins and I were discussing who might be best on ground with the post-match celebrations, and both of us were tipping one Ebony Marinoff. Can you confirm who pulled up, uh, well, who partied the best last yeah. night?
1: All played well. It was a team performance. Um, but, yeah, it was amongst <laughs> it. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it went well into the night. I uh, snuck out of there. Uh, and they were still kicking, so I couldn't, I can't, I can't give you the final outcome. But um, yeah, they were, they were all going pretty well.
5: <laughs> Doc, congratulations. I'm interested. You took the took the job or took the uh, the lead role as the as the head coach. What what were your, what was your what was your sort of um, plan? You obviously didn't map out. You don't want to win two premierships, and you know, as clubs do. But what what was your thought process
1: when you took over as head coach? Um, well, I mean, yeah, obviously we just wanted to play as well as we could and hopefully win uh, each season. You go into it and you just think, well, you know, what what can we do? How can we get better? Can we, can we contend and can we ultimately win? That's the, that's the, that's the outcome you're looking for every year, I think. Um, I guess when I took over, um, the other piece of the puzzle was, you know, I've had these dominant players in, in Aaron and Chelsea, uh, and I was mindful that at some point down the track, you know, they might not be there. So we, we also wanted to make sure that we were, you know, developing the next, you know, wave of, of really good footballers. And, you know, I guess that's from a coaching perspective, that's kind of the, the, the bug that keeps you going is obviously the winning is lovely, um, but it's, yeah, it's seeing players get better and develop. That's kind of almost the, the bigger payoff in some regards.
2: I was going to say, uh, Matt Brett Phillips here, congratulations. It is an incredible era that you've built. And I'm always, you know, I love to be the fly on the wall. And unless you're on the absolute inner sanctum, I mean, there's the obvious of Phillips and Randall and those key players, Marinoff, that have been there pretty much from the outset. But for a team to build success over a period, there's all these sort of um, not as evident intangibles and secret ingredients that we can't see from the outside looking in. Can you take us a bit inside what has made the club so special in the first six years to win three premierships um yeah
1: well you've got to have talent clearly uh, and and coming into the role you know i was sort of fresh to it and and i was the same as you i was looking from the outside and i thought we got aaron phillips chelsea randall they're they're the stars but ultimately um once you're inside it you you quickly realize that you know it's the the cohesion and the team dynamic that they've developed um which you know predates me Uh, but i was really mindful once I was lucky enough to have the job to, to make sure I didn't take that for for granted and, and so we, yeah we invest invest time to make sure that there's opportunities to continue to build that and as new players come into the group um, you know it's a really strong culture of, of introducing them and, and to embedding them into what's been been done before and, and what they can add and what they can bring to the group as well so I think that yeah that cohesion and that that dun- the dynamic that exists is is the other piece which is yeah which is harder to
5: to replicate, I guess doc the uh, I guess you 've only had the, the premiership cup in your hands for about twenty hours, but how quickly do you have to shift your attention to to what 's next it 's a pretty tight turnaround, and you know, um, personnel and all those sorts of things will decisions will have to be made quite quickly, and we know what 's coming for the future of AFLw. How quickly do you and the and the uh, front office have to sort of sit down and start to assess and start to find out what the what the plans and futures are for some of your players?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, that is the nature of the industry, isn't it? And uh, um, and this year, we think uh, that it's you know, that it's going to be real quick. Um, so I had, a, I had a quick chat with uh, Phil Harper well, a couple of hours ago, actually, and we just sort of said, "Oh, well, let's let's catch up tomorrow and just map out the week, uh, map out when we'll catch up with a with a group, and and obviously just you know quickly debrief the game, but then also just yeah." You know, Put put those logistical pieces, um, you know, so that everyone's got clarity around the timelines. But it is a little bit tricky because uh, <laughs> we actually don't know ourselves yet. But um, yeah, the best, uh, all, all, all indications is that are uh, that it's going to be that we're going to be back into training, you know, fairly quickly. So uh, it's going to be important that we are using this time really well, just to make sure that uh, that the players are fresh when we when we come back to that time.
3: Given that you have been the only side in South Australia, so you've had, you know, it's a it's a state-based draft in the AFLW for those who are listening who don't understand how that works. But you've had, um, you know, the pick of the players, the best of the bunch of, of South Australian talent for the first six years of the competition. Port Adelaide uh, are coming in next season. How have you planned for expansion?
1: Um yeah, well, um, yeah, we've been in that fortunate position where, um, you yeah, the recruiting and list management pieces, there's still a lot of work goes into it. So Katrina Gill has managed that for us um, for the last, I think, four years. And uh, she's incredibly thorough um, and has you know, a really good handle on, on the talent right across the state. Uh, but also, you know, looking into state, our, our priority is to, you know, recruit locally because there are, you know, there's limited opportunities for the local kids and, and that's been... You know, a frustration to be honest. That you have to tell some of these young players that are, you know, really talented. That there's just not a spot on our list at this moment. So, the good news is for all of those players that, yeah, the opportunities are going to increase um, you know, significantly over the next period. Uh, but yeah, we're, we, we we believe we're well planned and that we're, you know, that we're ready for for, for the new um, reality, which is that uh, yeah, we don't we don't have all the picks in SA. That's for sure.
3: And will you, I guess this is the thing, we don't know the future of um, some of your players. Aaron Phillips being one of those and the most talked talked about player in that situation. I mean, how do you, have you already thought about what life might look like without Aaron? And we look at, you know, with Hawthorne and Buddy Franklin, they kind of started planning without that. Have you sort of had that in the back of your mind or is that something you've just not thought about?
1: No, not really, to be honest. I think... Um, now we were really focused on uh, this season, to be honest. We, uh, you know, we saw, as, as I've said at the outset, each year you just sort of map out a, a plan, hopefully to give yourself a chance, and, and so that's been our, our focus all along. Um, and even though it's a short turnaround, to be honest, there'll be plenty of time for planning for whatever the eventuality is. You know, once we've once we've got our list together, we'll, we'll make sure that you know, we feel we've got cover in all of the roles. I mean, it's, it, it, clearly it has been highly speculated, Erin's uh, situation. But, you know, the reality is she's, she's been unbelievably important and, and totally invested in, in our club and our team. So, um, yeah, in some respects, although she's got that amazing family tradition with Court, uh, she's got a pretty strong tradition with our club yeah. as well. So, we'll see how it plays out.
2: Well, I was just going to follow up with Erin, And, you know, I was lucky enough years ago, Matt, to cover the WNBL. And what an absolute star basketballer. I mean, she could make a great basketball coach, you know, knowing the X's and O's, glittering WNBA career. Do you think she's born to coach? I mean, can you take us inside that part of her? We, we see the player, the incredible athlete, the leader, but just behind the scenes, is that something that you just see as a, a natural um, transition from from playing to coaching, that she can make a great fish to that?
1: Oh, I think she could, yeah. Um, I mean, she coached in the... Oh, she's assistant coach in the WNBA, which is um, yep. you know, about, as, about as good a league as you'll see in, in terms of basketball. Um, but but she probably has got a, a longer history in, in terms of basketball. She, her, her knowledge of that game is probably even greater. You know, it is mm. greater than than her footy knowledge, but but yep. no doubt no, she'd be she'd be fine if she chooses to go down that path in the future. Um As you've highlighted, you know, there's the X's and O's, but there's also the leadership piece. And, um, you know, she's pretty strong in that space.
5: Doc, what um, shift our focus to the uh, game that's not far away from getting underway at Marvel Stadium? Um, What do you you make of Essendon v Adelaide? Um, Big clash between Riley O'Brien and Sam Draper in the ruck. That'll go a long way to determine the outcome of the game. But what do you think Adelaide in particular need to do to get themselves four points on the road?
1: Yeah, it's been, I mean, obviously last week's win was uh, just so uh, important for the group um, because the pre season was really strong uh, and, the, and the Fremantle game, probably the first half, didn't really uh, play the, the style that they were looking to, uh, but came good in the, in the second half and then found a way to lose, which was uh, frustrating. But, um, <laughs> the, um, no, but in, ter- in terms of what they need to do, it's, it's, it's probably that, that blueprint that you work on the whole pre season. Uh, but Essendon are, presents you know, genuine challenges in terms of they're just their speed. Um, you know that, that can be difficult if you, if you base your game around defence and, and holding that ball in the front half. When there's genuine speed coming back at you, then you've got to be right on. So I think that'll be the game, if, always, the midfield contest. But then you know, our ability to, to press and, and to hold that ball for the front half will be, will be crucial, really.
3: Matt, we'll let you go because I think you probably need to rest up and maybe get some sleep, but thank you so much for joining us. It has been an absolute privilege watching this Adelaide AFLW side go about their business across the first six seasons, three flags. It's an incredible legacy and an incredible dynasty. Congratulations once again.
1: Thanks, guys. Thanks for the interest. Well done.
3: Matt Clark, their head coach of the AFLW Adelaide Crow. I
2: was listening to you guys coming in. Josh, I just wanted to tap into, you mentioned, you know, Matt possibly, you know, maybe being in contention when they decided to go with uh, Matthew Nix. I mean, it's interesting, the coaching journey. We're going to see, you know, Blake Carosella today, 15 years as an assistant coach, just where you might be able to get an opening. And there's those who are a little bit off the radar, who you don't look at as senior coaches, but... You know him as well as anyone, just the, his mind. And the AFLW yeah. is a great platform, isn't it, to, to launch a coaching career?
5: Oh, it's, it's been amazing for him. And, like, before he'd he done the AFLW um, or done what he has done with the AFLW team, I would have said, no, you're mad. He's you know, not in a million years. But he, he he kind of is exactly what a lot of AFL men's groups need. He's, he's really... He's pragmatic he's matter of fact, he's not, he doesn't get too high and he doesn't get too low and I think the important element is he doesn't get too low, he doesn't get too emotional, he doesn't ride the wave of a good performance and a poor performance, he's just really, you know, so many times, you know, you go from, you when know, I played ruck and forward so I sort of would have two reviews with my with my individual coaches and you go through your forward stuff and if you played poorly, you just, you know, you really drag yourself in there thinking this is going to be a long 20 or 30 minutes and, the good thing with him was you'd go and see him and, you know, you could get slaughtered in the ruck, but he'd always be able to just not brush it aside, but not allow it to really become a really negative 20 or 30 minutes. He was just really pragmatic. You know, he's yep. like, you know what, he's a really big ruckman, he's good, you know, you're a part-timer, we don't expect you to beat him, but we, you know, we want you to, this is how you can um, negate, and this is how you can counteract those types of guys. And he just—he never got too high, and he never got too low. And um, yeah, I mean, I think he'd make a really good um, coach in the AFL men's competition. But I'm not sure that those Crows players in the AFLW team <laughs> would be too keen on that idea.
3: I don't think so. They don't want to be letting him go. And that's the the thing, too, because we talk about, you know, we need more women coaches in the AFLW, which 100% we do. But then you look at, you know, Mick Steneer at Melbourne, um, Matt Clark as well, Craig Starsevich at the Brisbane Lions. These girls absolutely love their male coaches.
5: Yeah, I I think what – and I absolutely agree. We'd love to see – a nice mix of of, of, uh, men's and women's coaches. But I think what the players want, Nat, and you're more in tune with this than me, what the players want is just the best coach. I don't know that they really care whether their coach is a man or a woman. They just want the right person to teach them how to play the game and to give them an opportunity to have success. I mean, that's what I would want. I wouldn't care if I was coached by a man or a woman. I just want the right person for the job. Mm. Yeah, one hundred percent.
2: And and working alongside Daisy Pearce, Nat, for the last three years, when you sit in a commentary box with her, every time I walk out, thinking your analysis is as good as anyone's. Exactly. So whether you're male or female, you're right. And and, we're seeing a lot across a lot of sports now, aren't we? Where it's a combination in the NBA, we've seen assistant coaches as some key women in the game who've come from the WNBA. So the wheels are turning. How far they turn, long term? We'll uh, we'll wait and see.
3: We can only hope. All right. I want to chat about the Sydney-North Melbourne game, which you nearly threw a brick through the television, BP. Just talk us through. Highly emotional. The Sydney Swans, 13-8-86, defeating North Melbourne, 12-3-75. The Swans by 11 points. I mean, it was a really great response by the Kangaroos, given they were belted by 108 points the week before at the hands of the Lions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they had to bring supreme effort. That's going to be the first port of call, and that's going to be the f- have to be the first port of call for the Gold Coaster later today. If you don't bring that, Josh yeah. knows it far better than I, but, yeah, they were riding that game to the point right at the end you thought they've got this game in their hands. Uh, the, you know, Jack Siebel playing deep forward. He sort of had that goal square, one out. Uh, he was strong. He kicked beautifully, and you just felt like they had that enough of a buffer. And then Buddy gets subbed out in the last quarter. Sydney looked a little flat. The crowd didn't seem as energised and up and about uh, for a normal Sydney crowd who, um, you know, over the years have become real hard-nosed footy supporters. But they just couldn't put the icing on the cake north. They'd love a couple of those moments back where just maybe a target was missed. And But the response was better. So, Josh, how do you, you know, in reflection, after last week, when there'd be the natural disappointment, what that could have been on the road to galvanise a group but how you assess it as a coach and a coaching staff to then hopefully have that as a foundation to build on now for much better sustained performances from next week on.
5: I think from David Noble's point of view and the, and the Rue's coaching staff, it's a, it is it's, it's still a difficult or a delicate um, sell here because as a player, I used to really um, I'd really get my back up when a coach would say, see, that's, how, that's the effort that you've got to bring. But, you know, the players never bring, they never not try. Now, the effort wavers between 95% and 100%, but you never not try. And I think that's what we could have been um, accused of saying about North last week. They just didn't have a go. And David Noble got close to saying that. He just sort of said we didn't have the right intent and effort in many areas, all areas of the ground. But then just going into his group tomorrow and saying see that's how that's the effort we've got to bring that's too simplistic i think there's got to be more to it than that and he's a very um, articulate person so he'll be able to do that the only concern i have bp and that i didn't see any of this game but jack zebel i mean it's fantastic that you know mm. to swing him forward to kick five but in my view that's not a sustainable model i mean he's not going to kick five every really. week we understand that no. but what, yeah. what happened to Nick Larkey? Was he forced to sort of get out of the road? What were the other young forwards? Where were they whilst Zebul was basically given you know, a bit of a Pagan's Paddock style um, situation from what I can gather? So I wonder whether you know, that's that quick fix, isn't it? We, the, you know, North said, we, we need to respond here. But you know, moving forward, I don't think Jack Zebul can be one out in the goal square for a long period of time.
3: Well, Coach David Noble was ex- asked that exact question because obviously Good Friday football is coming up. It's the North Melbourne Kangaroos up against the Western Bulldogs. And this was the coach on whether Zeeble plays forward again next week.
2: Well, I think we looked at today's game as to where we could best utilize his skills. I, I still think there's times where we'll still consider playing him back. Um, Probably felt that the opposition were maybe targeting him a little bit too much for what we were trying to get out of him. So I think the shift and the change-up has been really good for him. Um, probably hard to move him out of there next week, um, I would think. Um, but, look, that's that's the sentiment of, of the players. They're able to dig in when they need to. Um, we needed a response. He led the way. Um, and he was more than happy to take on the, on the challenge this week.
3: I guess it's nice to be able to pull that wild card, isn't it, BP? If yep. you're a coach and you're like, OK, Jack Siebel, is played in defence, but we're going to send him forward, that leadership that he has up there with a the young forward line too.
2: Yeah, because Nick Larkey, a bit like Jamari Uggelhagen, we called it last night. I know Josh touched on it last hour. just They were trying to both yesterday work their way into the yeah. game. Sometimes the ball just wasn't quite to his advantage, Larkey, and up against some experienced Sydney defenders, so you, you go a little smaller um, as that, uh, that, that, last, that deeper kick in. So, I mean, forward lines obviously uh, have changed a hell of a lot from the old days of the permanent stay-home uh, full forward, uh, the different mix of players inside that uh, forward 50. But, yeah, the Kangaroos, look, I thought they could be really encouraged by uh, yesterday. You can, you can sort of see something there. It's, it's, there's a lot of parts that you know, need to uh, come together. I've got to say, though, Josh, every time Aaron Hall gets the ball in hand, out of that back fifty, I just need to look down and close my <laughs> eyes because I love the high risk high reward, but i 'm going do you, do you need to bite off as much as yeah. as, as he does but it's a, that, that fine balance
5: it is and I mean he we spoke about this um, a little earlier with Patrick Nash at Richmond he plays uh, sorry at West Coast he, formerly of Richmond he Plays a style, you know, the rest of the team, and North are a bit like this, the rest of the team are a little bit more methodical. So they sometimes they need him, but I certainly understand what you're saying about his, uh, his ability to, to be all or nothing.
2: All right, uh, we'll come back to that conversation. But time now to catch up with uh, Josh Jeans from Dabble. Enjoying crunch time banter? Check out Dabble banter channels and copy crunch time bets. Go on, have a dabble, gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Indeed, Uh, Josh Jeans from uh, Dabble uh, does join us. Uh, Josh, welcome. For those new to dabble, and I was listening last year, so I'm a little new to dabble. Can you explain it to us and for the punters out there? Yeah, g'day, BP. Thanks for having me back.
4: Yeah, so what we're saying is it's social media meets betting. So you've got your standard markets that you can put a bet on, but you can also follow your favourite tipsters. You can follow the experts. So say you want to get involved in the F1 today, but you're not too sure about it, and, you know, BP yourself,
2: you've been watching Drive to Survive, so you're an expert. Uh, I can just copy <laughs> your bet, and, uh, and I'm away. Now, it is up to the, uh, the Sunday team. We've got a little load to carry today. To come through after the Saturday <laughs> team uh, let us down, Josh, yesterday. So what are our bets for uh, this afternoon?
4: That's right. So you've got the Bombers 1-39, to you've got the Saints 1-39, to and the Blues to absolutely smash the Suns by over 40. That one's paying 22-44, so you can easily copy that bet. What are you liking about that, BP?
2: Uh, Essendon, yeah, on the money. Jason St Kilda Hawthorne's a really hard one to uh, call today, but I think you got that right. And, uh, look, I'm hoping the Gold Coast are going to be a hell of a lot better, to be honest, uh, Josh. And don't get beaten by 40-plus, because the heat will genuinely come on Stewie Jew. But... We'll see how it unfolds. The Blues are looking pretty good. Yeah, so
4: absolutely. So if you want to copy that bet, the easiest way to do it, just download the app, uh, follow the Crunch Time AFL team yourselves, Dermy's on there as well as Dermy23. Go on, have a dabble, dabble socially and gamble responsibly.
2: Good man. Thank you, Josh. Uh, Josh they uh, there, Nat. Uh, of course, Dabble, get amongst it.
3: Very much so. We'll continue that conversation because we spoke about North Melbourne, but I want to turn the focus to the Sydney Swans. And it was their young players that really turned the tide there and gained that momentum. Justin McInerney was, say, was incredible. I mean, we always talk about Isaac Heaney and those couple of goals that he kicked late, including the one with four seconds to go. But McInerney had 14 touches yeah. in that last term. He was incredible. I
2: thought he was going to blow a of valve. He gets that <laughs> pumped up. I mean... Uh, if, if you're in his path after he kicks a great goal, I mean he, he'll uh, he'll knock you over. Uh, no, loved his uh, loved his finish uh, yesterday. They had to find something, uh, Sydney, which you know has been their hallmark for a long time. They do uh, find uh, ways to win. Uh, young Campbell, who Josh we saw, did, did he play his first game at the MCG? I remember going back when he made his debut, and I, I just love left footers yeah. in footy and. Uh, we saw um, uh, some great uh, left-footers uh, last night yes. at the MCG. But, gee, he kicks the ball so well. And that's where Sydney have emerged, haven't they? They've found some good kickers. Goulden as well as a left-footer. So, yeah, they're, um, they're going to be around the mark. But they'll look at yesterday as one they they got away with. But you can't play the perfect game every single week. No, you week. can't.
5: And you can, you can... I know the week previous, Sydney were a little... Well, John Longmire was, was very disappointed in their performance. But... Yeah, you know, we've seen it for we've seen it for as long as sports been going, haven't we? You know, the Swans probably went into that game, you know, not absolutely laser shut, laser focused no. on North. You know, North are coming off a 112 point loss, and we've seen it forever. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason; it just happens. But the good thing for Sydney, as as you two have touched on, you know, Mack and um, 21 year old had 30. Campbell's a 20 year old. He was he was prominent. So plenty of the uh, young players were great for the Swans.
3: Alright, this is the pre-game show for Thirsty Camel. Answer the Camel's Core, Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. We'll be back after this short break on Sunday Crunch Time.
2: You're listening to Crunch Time, brought to you by the Isuzu D-Max. Born to live.
3: great to have your company here on sunday crunch time we're about 40 minutes away from the bounce essendon and adelaide here at marvel stadium to continue round four action our experts today here for buy my stock got excess stock visit buymystock.com.au josh jenkins nat edwards and brett phillips with you as we count down to the first bounce. Uh, Lads, I want to talk about something a little bit different because we we did unpack the Collingwood West Coast game, JJ, a little while ago, but Darcy Moore, that was the big news during the week. One of the hottest free agents going around. He's off the market signing a six-year deal. He'll basically be a pie for life. I'm keen to get your take, JJ, on this one. Is six years too Long, because we never know what's around the corner when it comes to your footy
5: career. No, we don't. Um, But we need to think about it in terms of um, what the marketplace is also willing to offer. That drives what the player eventually signs. You know, if if uh, if seventeen other clubs are saying, "Oh, we'll give Darcy more two years," then and Colling would say six. Then yes, it's a silly deal. But I would suggest that there would have been 17 other clubs saying yeah we're in the we're in the ballpark for we'll, we'll, we'll give him 5 plus we'll give him 6 some clubs would have said well if it if it, if it means getting him across from your club to ours we'll we'll give him 7 because the difference is and i think a lot of the times we we focus on the totality the totality of the deal it's more about what's the difference between having him what do you have to give up to to keep him versus if you lose him what does it look like now if Collingwood lose Darcy Moore I mean please they've got they've got you know they've got an it's an irreplaceable player at mm. that position he's among the best players at his position so six years at a significant amount of money I think it's about fair because it's what the marketplace um, values him at so you know the injury issues and that they're valid but can you really afford to lose him And that is the ultimate question: what you have to pay to keep him is a talking point, BP. But ultimately, the the actual question should be: can you actually afford to lose him? And that's what Collingwood asked themselves, and they decided the answer was no. So they kept him on, and you know, accordingly.
2: Well, I think there's some magnets that are the absolute pillars and. You build your side around, so, yes, you, you can never totally forecast what the future's going to look like. You know, Buddy signs a nine-year deal. Is that going to work? Yeah. What's going to be the end result? Are we going to get full value? So you have to take that punt. People inside the club know internally the total value that he brings, not only as a footballer but, um, you know, as an emerging leader and all the little intangibles that we, uh, we can't see. And, yeah, this is a young, developing, transitioning sort of group who... You just need a few pillars here to go. We're going to lock you in for a, a, an extended period. And I, I think his body of work is good enough to get that tick, as far as I'm concerned.
3: we got Brody Grundy on a big year long-term deal. Now yep. Darcy Moore. Jordan De Go is the next one that they probably turn their attention to, to, to lock away. And whether he gets that long-term deal, given the issues he's had off-field at this point in time, I'm not sure what they do there. What's your view with Jordan Goey, and what would you be doing if you put your Collingwood list manager's hat on, JJ?
5: Well, I think you can play uh, some more hardball with Jordan Goey. I think the leverage is more so with Collingwood in this situation. Now, make no mistake, I think the market will come for him and I think there will be clubs who take on whatever risk they deem there is in terms of his off-field um, situation and what he's Hasn't hasn't done in terms of his off-field behaviour, but I think if you're Collingwood, he's one you can afford to be a little drive a little bit more of a hard bargain and really say, look, you weren't even we weren't even sure whether you'd be allowed to play. You know, you had a legal situation that no one really knew what was going to happen. So I would drive a bit more of a hard bargain with him, particularly from what he's done off the footy field. But even what he's done on the field, we've seen his best is is is. It's, you know, it's game winning. He can be a match winner, no doubt about it, but we haven't seen it for long periods, so oh, he'd be the one I'd be trying to get on a you know, two or three year deal.
2: So that, that conversation, so Jordan Ngoi's management clearly into the club, they want to strike the best deal, but he's also aware, Josh, of that he hasn't fulfilled everything that Collingwood would want to get out of him, and some off-field, some on-field, as you suggested, does a player ever feel like, yeah, I've got to... Before I can really get to that next point of a contract, that I've actually got to give a little back first to get that, that really good long-term deal. I mean, it, it, players are going into bat for themselves and want to set up the best deal, but is there any any of that thought process?
5: I think um, he is in a position of... Um, where the maturity aspect might come into this. You know, like, it would be... The easy thing would be to say, if, if I'm Jordan to go, the easy thing... Would be to say, look, I'm. Um, I don't know how old he is. he's what would he be? Twenty six? Is he about twenty six years of age? I'm not sure. He's around that mark anyway. But he could easily yep. just say, look, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna find the biggest, most lucrative deal I can get. I'm gonna really just lock away my long term future. I'm gonna get a five or six year deal. I'm gonna get about a million bucks, eight hundred plus a year, and I'm just gonna take that. But I wonder whether he actually feels the level of, um, of, of need or the need to repay some faith from Collingwood and, and give back to Collingwood and really fulfill his talent at Collingwood. Collingwood have looked after him, but he's been a good player for them as well. It's not a one-way street, but yeah, I do yeah. wonder whether he's willing to give up a little bit and, and, and sign that shorter-term deal to prove it and then really And then you know, the rest capitalize. will look after itself. Yeah, capitalise on the back of it. But, I mean, it'll yep. be one to, to really watch his space. And I think it'll be more a club player-manager conversation. I don't think he'll be involved in a lot of that because some of it will be a little yeah. bit you know, gritty and grimy and he doesn't really need to be a part of that.
3: Someone who can command whatever price they want, in my view, is Luke Jackson from the Melbourne Football Club. Obviously a premiership player, but he is a talent. I mean, I just absolutely love (laughs) watching this kid go about it. I love watching him in his under-18 year when he was playing in the WA um, Championships, the National Carnival. He was just thrilling to watch. No doubt West Coast and Fremantle are going to be coming hard for him. I mean, what do you think... He could command it. And do you think, Josh, that they should give him a long-term... Like, offer up a long-term deal? And Melbourne are probably going to have to go there and match it too.
5: BP, what would you... What would you... If you're... If you are uh, West Coast... So, Nick Nat uh, third, north of 30. What what would you put in... And Luke Jackson's your man, which he, he should be if uh, if you're running yes. West Coast. What would you put in front of him? Because I'll, 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 I'll name my price in a moment. I... I <laughs> he's, I'll put anything in front of him, but what would you put, how far would you go to to lure Luke Jackson? Because remember, (laughs) whatever you offer, if you don't get him, you don't have him. So there's no middle ground. You either have him or you don't. Yeah, you've got to go all out.
2: Yeah, great question. uh, Great question, Josh. Um, You know, who's who's still got the the best currency on that West Coast list? Uh, some, Some aging players, but, you know, some players still have absolute genuine talent who are still in their prime. So... There's probably going to be a. There's probably going to be a couple there, isn't there, in the mix, a couple Absolutely. who are in that, um, who are still in that window, that sort of twenty-three to twenty-eight window, who are playing some of their best footy. So, just a question of right now, who falls into yeah. that? Yeah,
5: I mean, if so all right, let's say it's a good question. The, I'm pondering the trade. The trade has to be done later, but yep. say Jackson says, okay, yeah, I'll take that. I, I would put, I, I mean, I would put eight years in front of Luke Jackson because. Yes, injury, long-term injury can strike. Nat, does that just put you back in your seat a little bit? I hope Kane Corns is not yeah, listening. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently just Googling how old out. Luke
3: Jackson is he just to make just sure. Broke.
5: He's 21, is he not? 20.
3: <laughs> 20. Only... So you got him he's to 28 20. with an eight-year deal. Yes, 20.
5: Yeah. So he turns, by the time you get him, he's 21. So it takes him from 21 through to about 29. Uh, look, how many players, if you crunch the sums on how many players suffer multiple long-term injuries, I think you'd find it's a really low number. So that's a really low risk, in my opinion, that uh, that injury is going to basically um, eliminate a lot of that eight years. So you're going to get him for a long period of time. Have we not seen enough to suggest he's going to be amongst the best Ruckman in the game? I think that's pretty clear and evident, is it not? Yep,
2: no doubt.
3: Yeah, well, he will so... be the best Ruckman in the competition in, what, five years' time if we're talking. <laughs> he will be number one. I would offer
5: him I would I would put I would put eight years and about ten million in front of him. I honestly would. And 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 there is a very good chance, there's a small chance that injury will take over, but there's a very good chance that in five or six years, when the game's finances continue to drive up, you might have him on unders a la Scotty Pippen.
2: <laughs> yes, the great Scotty Pippen.
5: It sounds like a lot, eight years <laughs> and ten million. But if you, think about, if you think about the commodity that you are getting, yeah. it may actually be a very, very club-friendly deal in four or five years' time.
3: It's not that, like, good rucks grow on trees. I mean, you look at or Sean Darcy, he's one certainly for the future yes. who will be yep. right up there alongside Luke Jackson. And West Coast have had Nick Nat for for a long time, and he has been a fantastic player. But they do need to look to the future and, and what's out there. But there's no way that Melbourne is going to let Luke Jackson go.
2: Well, and you think no. Melbourne are now heading into this period where they could genuinely oh. – we feel for the first time ever they could have some genuine sustained success now as – being just
3: they're unstoppable.
2: Up the back, uh, wipes the dribble coming out of his <laughs> mouth, just <laughs> celebrating at the thought of Melbourne, just dominating the next decade. But a demon dynasty. Just those signs at the moment.
3: Oh, no, they are certainly incredible. It's an interesting you conversation for yeah. sure with Luke Jackson, and we'll see how it all plays out. There's a couple of other free agents that are still on the market now that, um, you know, Moore and Heaney, There were the two big names. But Angus Brayshaw, James Sisley and Caleb Daniel are probably the three that are the pick of the bunch that are left. So if I was Hawthorne, I'd certainly be trying to lock away James no Disley, quick smart. Yep. Angus Brayshaw is an interesting one though as well. We know the ties. Obviously his brother over at Frio, but the, the West Australian ties and whether he still sees himself fitting into this um, this Melbourne lineup, obviously a premiership player now. So that's going to be really intriguing one to watch from Angus Brayshaw as well. All right, still plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Just the
2: subs confirmed, that Devon yes. uh, Devin Smith for the Bombers, young Brayden Cook for Adelaide for uh, the 110 kickoff, not too far away.
3: No, we're getting very, very close to the first bounce and we will chat about the Essendon-Adelaide game coming up here at Marvel Stadium right on the other side of this break. Our talk back is for Koga Mobile. Make the call, switch to Koga Mobile. Crunch time, thanks to Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops.